This is Partners in Practice, a weekly series dedicated to the evolving field of the advanced practice clinician. Partners in Practice is produced this week in cooperation with the Association of Family Practice Physician Assistants, offering three annual CME conferences for PAs and NPs at family-friendly destinations nationwide. Now, here is your host, Physician Assistant Lisa DeAndre Linnell. Physician assistants are a key part of the solution to the healthcare workforce shortage. The PA profession was created over 40 years ago in response to a shortage of primary care physicians. Today, over 75,000 PAs provide high-quality, cost-effective medical care in virtually all healthcare settings and in every medical and surgical specialty. However, to fully utilize PAs in the nation's primary care workforce, we need help from Congress. It is critical that PAs make their voices heard. Unless legislators hear from you, PAs risk being overlooked in the healthcare legislation on Capitol Hill. I'm often asked, what can I do? Well, to walk us through the legislative process and the current issues facing physician assistance is PA and AAPA President Patrick Helleen. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to Partners in Practice. Thank you very much. Patrick, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act definitely had some big wins for PAs. Ultimately, physicians, PAs, and NPs were identified as the three healthcare professionals providing primary care in the United States today. And that was a giant step for PAs. But the process needs to continue. Could you fill us in on the other legislative priorities right now for PAs? Sure. It's a great opportunity. Thank you so much, Lisa. You know, as Congress explores how to best mitigate health care costs, AAPA, the American Academy of Physician Assistants, is urging policymakers to completely support policies that allow PAs to practice to their fullest potential and, you know, improvement for patient outcomes. Basically, we want to remove all barriers for physician assistants. You know, the Academy legislative agenda is focused particularly on some of the unfinished initiatives. We're really on the cusp of many of these initiatives, such as the ability of PAs to provide hospice care for Medicare beneficiaries, which is one of the many updates we seek for Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries. Also, PAs are permitted to diagnose and treat federal workers who are injured on the job. It's one of the other things that we're looking for. Additionally, we're looking to amend the Health Information Technology for Economic Clinical Health, which is a new act to extend Medicaid electronic health records initiatives for all PAs who meet the requirements under the Medicaid beneficiaries. So let's talk about those three. I had the opportunity to attend the AAPA's annual Capitol Hill Day in February. And if you're a PA and you're interested in learning about the legislative process and being a part of it, it's a great place to start because we spent the day meeting with our representatives and discussing the important role that PAs play in the healthcare system. And I'd like to talk to you about these legislative issues because we talked about these on the Hill that day. And let's start with hospice care. As I understand it, PAs, even those that have served a patient for decades, are not permitted to serve those same patients at the end of their lives if they are Medicare beneficiaries who have elected the hospice benefit. Could you elaborate on that? This is one of the real clear opportunities that we need to look at about removing barriers 
to care. And this is really a perfect example. As you said, I can take care of a patient or their family the entire life. But when it comes time with end of life and hospice care, I'm not able to order those benefits for a Medicare individual. So really, we're looking at Medicare coverage that was originally started in 1977 at the time with the Rural Health Clinic Service Act. And what happened at that time was that Congress actually acknowledged PAs had the education and expertise and a wide range of primary care services for these Medicare beneficiaries, especially those in areas where there were shortages. What happened is that the aim of Congress was to extend the medical services to rural and Medicare beneficiaries. Subsequently, Congress steadily expanded Medicare coverage for PAs and the services that they provide. In 1997, almost 20 years later, in the 105th Congress, they passed the Balanced Budget Act, which made it clear that medical care services provided by a PA were allowed by state law and that this would be covered by the Medicare. Unfortunately, the former Healthcare Service Administration, which is now Medicaid and Medicare Services, decided that the Balanced Budget Act in Medicare provision regarding coverage for services provided by a PA did not apply to hospice care. And that was a real challenge. As a result, PAs are not allowed to provide hospice care to patients, forcing families to seek alternative care or other healthcare professionals to manage hospice care services. And it's plain and simple, a patient care access issue. Can you tell us why PAs were excluded from that? Unfortunately, no. When it comes down to some of the issues that take place in Congress, with the Balanced Budget Act, it was an after-the-fact submission. They thought that when they were allowing physicians to do this, that they were allowing physician assistance. Since PAs and physicians work in a team, it was simply an oversight of not listing PAs in the legislation. We've run into that as well with the HITECH Act, which is a hot-button issue for PAs right now because when the bill was written, PAs were excluded from receiving the electronic Medicaid incentive payments because the thought was that the money would flow to PAs from physicians. So very similar situation. Can you explain to us what that means for PAs, especially those that are practicing on their own? You know, it's a real challenge for us because PAs are often the sole healthcare professionals in medically underserved areas or rural communities, and they don't qualify for this. But what we need to look at is enhanced quality patient care is the ultimate goal from the electronic medical records, and that's the goal of the academy is really to get physician assistants to participate with electronic health records in order to increase patient care, and patient quality. As written today, the Act only provides for Medicaid electronic health record incentive payments to be made to PA-led rural health clinics and federally qualified health centers. PAs must have a patient mix of around 30% of Medicaid patients in order to participate with this. And it's very limited for those individuals, so the remainder of the physician assistants are truly challenged by this. And we want Congress to understand their error and correct this. I know PAs who have a 100% Medicare, Medicaid population. They're just not rural, and they don't fall under those same guidelines. Exactly. 
And when we look at Congress and we say, this is a real inequity for physician assistants, and it affects patient care access. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Partners in Practice on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with physician assistant and AAPA president Patrick Killeen. And we're discussing the legislative process and the current issues facing physician assistants. So, Patrick, in all 50 states and the District of Columbia, they've enacted laws giving physician assistants broad prescriptive authority. PAs are permitted to prescribe Schedule 3, 4, and 5 controlled medications in 48 states and the District of Columbia. 36 of these permit PAs to prescribe Schedule 2 as well. But when it comes to opioid addiction, PAs can't prescribe Suboxone. Why is this, and how has the AAPA reached out to legislators to change it? That's a great question, and we'd really like to get the law changed. You know, if a PA is not allowed to prescribe needed treatment to their patients, clearly they can't be effective in meeting the patient's needs, being their medical provider. Buprenorphine, or Suboxone, has been determined to be an effective alternative treatment, traditionally scheduled to methadone treatment for opioid addiction. This medication is safer, it's less susceptible to diversion and abuse, and buprenorphine is a scheduled three medication was approved by the FDA in 2002 for office-based dispensing for opioid addiction. You know, PAs practicing in all different settings, as you know, in all medical specialties, as well as addiction medicine, and we're really challenged with the way the law was written that PAs cannot provide this. At present, only physicians can order this medication buprenorphine or suboxone for opioid addiction. And the number of physicians for this in this area is relatively low, and it decreases patient care access. So we look at this even more when we expand this further to look at rural or underserved communities. Those patients are clearly at even a greater disadvantage as a result. So in short, we believe that the Drug Addiction Treatment Act, which placed the limits on PAs must be amended to allow PAs who complete the the requisite certification and training to obtain a DEA waiver to allow them to prescribe this medication. If anyone's ever treated an opioid addict, when they reach out for help that first time, that may be the last time. And PAs are often on the front line for the care of these patients, and they've got very little to offer them to help them right then. So I think it's very important that they're able to prescribe. And when we look at it, it's a safety need for the patient. As you said, they may not come back. And if we take them for that one opportunity and looking at the ease of that for that patient to have the PA prescribe the medication, it may be a life-saving issue and decision for them. I agree. Well, let's jump back to hospice real quick. What needs to be done for that to change? So what we're looking at doing within hospice is actually finding individuals within Congress to help support legislation to move that forward. And we're really challenged, and this is a real big issue for the profession since PAs can take care of those families throughout their lifetime. So it's finding legislators to support that and bring that forward within the congressional process of the 112th Congress. Could you give us your thoughts of how important it is that PAs get involved, that they get their voice heard? It's imperative 
Because if you don't educate simply your patient on your role as a physician assistant, then you've done a disservice for the profession. And we're really challenged to have everyone understand who their primary care provider is, including a physician assistant. Advocating for the profession is our second job, simply. Stating and going to legislators and stating what we need from them in reference to healthcare reform, in reference how it affects patient safety and patient access are really major issues for the profession. You know, we want to give PAs the tools, and the tools are out there on our website, aapa.org, on how to advocate for our profession. And clearly, you know, we have challenges within the profession, but change can only take place with PAs taking the step to help us get the facts out about the profession. Tell us about your recent visit to the White House, and you also returned to Capitol Hill. Tell us about that. Wow. Well, I'm really pleased to inform you, you know, AAPA and myself was invited by the White House and the Office of the First Lady to participate on March 29th in a discussion on enhancing the well-being and psychological health of military families. It was a great opportunity for me to be there with multiple leaders of medicine as well as behavioral and mental health organizations discuss how best to integrate the psychological health services of military families. In January, just recently of 2011, the White House sent out a report called Strengthening Our Military Families, Meeting America's Commitment. And this actual report was used as a benchmark to begin our discussions on the military families. And actually, if you want to look it up, the uh, White House report is on whitehouse.gov, keyword, military families. And you can find out about what we were talking about. The major goal of this meeting at the White House with the First Lady's office was to build off of that report and determine priorities, meeting organizations, and developing common points with support for military families. It was a great honor for me. And I think looking forward, you're going to see a lot more information about it. The office of the First Lady called this the Joining Forces Campaign, and a new website will be coming out called joiningforces.gov. And I think this will really gain a lot of momentum, similar to the First Lady's component with the Let's Move campaign on childhood obesity. Patrick, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much, Lisa. It was a great time. We were just talking with Patrick Kayline and PAs, get involved with your profession. Contact your legislators. Let your voice be heard. Every PA voice is important. You've been listening to Partners in Practice on ReachMD XM160. Partners in Practice has been produced this week in cooperation with the Association of Family Practice Physician Assistants, offering three annual CME conferences for PAs and NPs at family-friendly destinations nationwide. You can download this program or any other program at our library at ReachMD.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening.